If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. We have a mission to improve the welfare of horses throughout the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers and that's what these chats are all about. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Now today we've got Jonna on, Jonna McLean, who's a very welcome regular guest of Horse Chats and he's going to talk today about a case study of an ex-race horse, Benny, a retired racehorse. Now Jonna, how are you today? I'm very well, thanks, Glenn. How are you? Oh, very well, very well. And uh, I'm just wondering, John, are this training, is it training or retraining the X-Race horse? Good question, and it's a bit of a you know, philosophical discussion that we will need to have and we all probably do have at some point. I'm not sure there's any difference between whether you're training a horse that you've bought from somebody or whether you're training a horse that's come from the track. The fact of the matter is, um, the training processes remain the same, and we may have identified some problems or some issues, but don't we have all some problems and some issues with every horse that we have to some degree? So I think it's all the same, and um, some people don't like the word training, and it's just training to me. I, I don't mm-hmm. get too worried about calling it retraining or re-education or, you know, I don't really talk about the problem horse either because, you know, uh, that sort of starts to insinuate it's the horse's fault when really that's not the mindset we encourage. Okay. And it's just basically the horse reacting to something that he thinks he's supposed to do. It's exactly right. That's yeah. the answer that he's currently been allowed to produce and yeah. up to this point he will keep doing that, exactly. Okay, okay. Now, because Benny's had many racing starts, I don't know how many, but he's probably likely to show us some traits that we don't require for a general riding horse. What type of traits? And by the way, how many starts did Benny have? He had 140 starts. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So he's, he's done, yeah. done it a few times, yes. Yes, 140 starts, and um, I think 20 of those from memory were over jumps. Okay. And okay. He, went okay, he went okay over the jumps. He didn't really stay competitive for a long enough period or whatever, whatever reason it was. He may have had an injury. I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, he had a considerable number of race starts. Yep, yep, yep. We're looking at traits that he would have picked up then, you know, that he starts as a racehorse, but ones that we don't want for a general riding horse. What sort of traits are we looking at? Well, it's, it's interesting because, as I've said in some other um, presentations before, the traits that we have in a racehorse are pretty much none of the traits that we have in a racehorse do we want for a riding horse. Mm-hmm. So, for example, what we'd like him to do is when he goes into a confined area like barriers, he jumps at the front. Um, and when we put him in a horse, like, that's not what we want him to do. Mm-hmm. And when we ride him, we don't want him to go fast. We'd like him to just go at a steady pace at our pace all by himself. And that's not often the case. And the more that the... Um, can I say the flight response switch has been flicked, the more uh, the, the harder it is to be able to reverse that, the more ingrained it is because he's practised that. So, and, and what comes with that are things like, for example, the only period of time when Benny stood still other than being attended uh, to by the vet or the farrier, etc., or the dentist, would have been when he was in the side tyres or the stripping soils at the race course 
And then after that, he was on the move. Um, yeah. He was tacked up, he had the bridle on, and he was on the move. And then he did some walking for quite a period of time, probably just in the in the background there. And then he brought into the uh, saddling here, uh, into the uh, bird cage where the jockeys get on, and he would have been led around and around on the right rein, and then the jockey would have been leg up, legged up as he walked past. Mm-hmm. And then he would have continued to keep moving his legs all the way through until he got into the barrier. And that's often a hard one for them because it's a, a confined environment and then, of course, the gates fly up and away he goes. Yeah. From that point on, how well he settles um, is probably uh, a little bit of a contentious issue sometimes between the rider or the jockey and the horse because the jockey would like to place the horse somewhere and the horse is, just wants to run because he's in a field of other horses and it's natural for him to do that. And... Benny being the sort of um, staying type of horse that he was, he was obviously fairly good at settling and then making his uh, making his run home. So that probably isn't so bad, whereas the sprinting horses, they just go absolutely flat out. So, you know, the two-year-olds and the early three-year-olds do sprint racing. Um, that's a much more difficult one to eliminate because they go at extreme speed for as long as they can. Okay. Okay. Now, you said that he's not particularly fond of standing still, and you did talk a little bit about him backing out of the float, but talk to us about the horse floats and the horse trucks, because I don't know what it's like down there, but if you talk about racehorses and horse floats, we would call them horse trucks if we were in a different sport. So do you want to talk about that and how they're not backing out the same as what we would think? Yes, that's right. And I know uh, we do have some international listeners, so mm. lorries and trucks and yes. floats and things, um, all those terms are uh, a little bit mixed up. But um, from a horse transport point of view, 90% of the time the racehorses are transported in a lorry or a truck and they are generally facing east-west mm-hmm. um, in that situation. Sometimes they'll be um, north-south, but mostly they'll be east-west and there'll be quite a few of them in one truck. So in that context, the horse, nose sped up the ramp, turned slightly to the left and hooked up to um, his point and then the gate comes around and he, he's locked in that area and then the next horse and the next horse. So it's no one we have troubles with putting them into a horse trailer or a horse float as such because the context is completely different. To unload out of a truck generally, or not generally, um, most, I don't see, think I've ever seen to reverse a horse out of a truck unless it's um, some special circumstance, they turn around in the truck and they walk in the ramp. That yep. doesn't happen in a horse float. They have to reverse out. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things that are quite different. Plus, the horse can see out clearly when he's in a, in a horse trailer, um, in a horse truck. He, he doesn't really uh, have the opportunity to see He must have some uh, good ventilation but he probably can't see out at all. So visually, um, and also from a tactile point of view, he's being transported in a completely different way. So that's the differences in transport um, from a from a contextual point of view or the view from the horse. So it's no wonder there are many, many times we um, get calls, certainly I get lots and lots of calls, I've got a horse off the track, he doesn't like going to a horse boat, he won't stand still, he rushes out, or he's trying to jump out from the, uh, the chest bar, all those things. So that that goes with the territory because that's part of the context that he's had to that point. Okay, okay. So what sort of training then do you do to get the horse to know that he's got to reverse out to get out of that confined area? The 
safest thing to do is actually have um, a well-trained horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've said that more than once, of course. And, of course, the things that are required to be able to get into a horse float is for it to be not to be scary. So, in other words, the physical state of the float is important, how light it is, how secure it is underfoot, make sure it's not slippery, make sure the um, preferably that the tailgate doesn't have a too angle on it. Um, the entry point can be modified so it can be nice and open. Um, there's plenty of light in the float. Um, and, of course, it smells something familiar, like, for example, other horses being in it. New floats are often a, a problem for for um, a fairly suspicious horse because it smells like paint and smells like a new, new float. So the things that we can do to help make that uh, is simply have our leading buttons stop go, yield, and also reverse, and also park as well. So being able to get your horse to go, stop, park, back a step, and then go forward again, and have all those cues so light and so light and obedient that when you're faced with the context of a foot, that he simply react to the pressure and not react to the circumstance. So you're trying to hijack, um, or can I say, overshadow or click the fear of the float by having your training so deep that he actually listens to you just one step at a time. Yep. So, for example, training Benny to go into the horse float, I didn't simply load him into the float. I just uh, spent time making sure that he understood exactly the, the lead forward pressure, the stop pressure, the turn pressure, and also the reverse pressure. And, of course, as a result of that, I would get park as a, as a uh, byproduct of those things, that mm-hmm. he would just stand there. And I would spend time just while I'm facing the float, asking him to then lean down and sniff the float. And then when he leaned down and sniffed the float, then I would say, now put your leg where your nose is just touched. Mm-hmm. And I do this with foals, and this is how I train foals to load that with, is that I um, get them to lower their head. And, of course, when the horse is that responsive, Glenn, is to you stop, you go, you turn, you back, and you park, when you ask um, with your hand to go straight down to the ground, the horse immediately softens and lowers his head. So you train them to do that as mm-hmm. part of the groundwork. So we call that pole lowering. Yep. Now, the beauty about this is that when the horses have their pole low, they don't, they don't have the flight response. In fact, it eclipses the flight response totally. So if you've got a horse that is difficult for the farrier or difficult um, in the wash bay or difficult to load in this case, if you ask him and train him to walk with his pole much lower than his wither, mm-hmm. you'll find that his eyes will shut slower, his legs will move slower, everything becomes slower and more known. So then I asked Benny to walk up onto the float, put his foot where his nose uh, had just been, tu- uh, been touching on the tailgate, and he says, oh, no, no, I don't really want to. So I just say, come on, you can do that. And I keep indicating with my, with my pressure that I'd like him to move his legs and then he takes one little step. And then, of course, I release the pressure as soon as I do that. And then I just give him a bit of a scratch and spend time there. And then because that one step, Glennis, was delayed, that tells me that I should go back and repeat that step. It doesn't mean I should take the second step. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's telling me clearly that he's fairly unsure about putting his foot on this tailgate yep. because it doesn't look like a horse truck tailgate. It yep. doesn't look like anything he's ever, <laughs> ever put his foot on before, maybe. So then I repeat that until... The, the, that leg goes exactly where his nose goes, and it happens pretty much 
as immediately as I applied the go command. So I'm going, head down, now go, put your leg there, good boy, scratch. Yeah. And I get that done a couple of times. So I'm getting him into the habit of getting to know the question, which is head down, touch, now put your feet where your nose just touch. Mm-hmm. And then I'll do that with the other leg and then stop and have a scratch. And then I'll reverse back and then I'll say, now, Benny, I want you to walk towards the float in on the line that I describe, on the line that we've set, and also at the speed of the walk that I want. And I want you to go from the ground and step to where we've just been without any change of line or any change in the tempo of the walk. And then I know I'm ready to take the next step. Okay. And I never not do that. Never not do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So all these groundwork skills, you know, we require them for safe handling, you know, stop, go, turn, reverse, yield. What about the yeah, shoulders yeah. and hindquarters? When do we do that? Yes, and that's what I meant by yield. So, of course, we do that because we need these processes to be able to correct the evasions of the horse. So uh-huh. yep. um, not try, oh, no, I'm going to snatch the lead rope and I'm going to look out over my right shoulder. So, for example, when he does that, his shoulder will be going right and his hind quarter will be going left if I'm facing him on shoulder. Yep. So, the first thing that happens is they nearly always move their shoulder. So, getting him to understand that when I apply just a light whip on the shoulder, that he moves his shoulders directly in the opposite direction. I don't mind whether he moves his left front leg or his right front leg away from the whip first. I just like him to move one step away. And then slowly but surely, when that becomes better, if I tap him on the near side with my right hand while I'm facing him, so I have the lead rope in my left hand and I'm facing him, and I tap him on the shoulder, it should really only take one or two taps, and that leg should actually move towards the other leg. So it should adduct towards the other leg. So moving uh, across the leading plane, and then mm. vice versa the other way. That way, then every time Benny tries to use that as evasion, I can then say, no, 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 put that leg back on my line. If you're quick enough, you catch it within one step, so it's not profitable for him. What's always profitable for the horse is when they can do multiple steps with a lot of flight and a lot of distance. That's when we have unearthed something that we probably can't handle and we're not saying too handle. Yep, yep, yep. So I'm just thinking then that we've got the really good predictable light control on the ground. You know, thinking then, is that when we, and we can, you know, mimic that different locations, is that when we bring in and start to apply the riding equipment, you know, saddle, bridle, everything like that? Absolutely. Or it could be all be done. If we think of a week's calendar on in the life of the X-Space Force, for example, you might spend the first week just doing groundwork where the stables are and around mm-hmm. about where it's going to be mounted, where it's going to be ridden in the arena and up and down the laneway to his paddock and back. And remembering, you know, the moment we touch the horse, we're training it anyway. So if we if we really make sure that all these responses are aligned the median um, to uh, to the application of the aid, then we don't generally don't need to upgrade any of the equipment. Like, for example, have to go for a bridle because you can't control them in the head collar. Okay. But they don't, they don't always come to us like that. So we may need to put a bridle on to be able to say, no, 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 this is what I want. And then we need to go back and make sure that the head collar responses are now the same as the bridle rather than leaving it and saying, oh, no, he's not good in a head collar. I'll just let him in bridle. Yes. At some point, we do need to make sure because commonly the closest we go to the horse and the market most likely we're going to be um, – 
probably injured is when we uh, just um, get him from the paddock and when we put him away, and that's mm-hmm. when he's in the head collar. Yep, yep, yep. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot-off-the-press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available, and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Now, when you got Benny, did he know how to lunge? And also, did he know if he did lunge, did he lunge both ways? Yes, he did have a lunge, but can I um, then say if the definition of lunging is going round and round on the end of a lead rope, yes, he did <laughs> Yes, but, yes, okay, yeah. okay. Yes, he did know. He knew the long rope, he just go round and round and round. That yep. was fine. Yep. But I yep. couldn't really have any control over the upward transitions or the down, mm. or could I then say, no, I don't want you to fall in or fall out either. So... You know, lunging is good if you know how to do it well or you've got a horse that's trained well or you know how to train it well. Mm-hmm. Where most people get into difficulty is when the horse starts lunging the person. Yes. You know, for example, and I see this all the time and you would have said this. For sure. When you see somebody lunge and the horse is migrating down the arena towing the lunger, then you know it's not going that well. Mm-hmm. It should be the other way around. So really all we need to be able to do is that I just start off on a fairly short lead you know, uh, I may be in a couple of metres of lead, and I'll just say, walk, walk on, halt, good boy, stand, walk on, and get that so it's really, really calm and predictable, and then I'll do that on the other end. Yeah. So Benny didn't really know, he didn't know how to walk. He didn't have any, lunging was about trotting and cantering. Yeah. So we had to train him to walk on the lunge. So we just started on a fairly short line, and really calm, really quiet. And then if I needed to, I could physically interject into the line and say, no, 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 don't run, don't, don't trot, just, just hold him and have a little bit of a scrap. Calm him down again and then ask him to walk on and stand. Because ultimately one of the biggest things that we need to be able to do in a horse that lunges, and it sounds so simple, but it's one of the hardest things to do, is to be able to go from uh, walk, trot and canter and then come back down, canter, trot exactly when I say, mm-hmm. and then be able to walk forward in the first steps of walk. Yes. Most horses were just happy just to stand. And then, of course, he would just turn around and pass me. We know I just want him to stop and park on the outside line, still on the direction of his circle. So mm-hmm. I can still do halt and stand out on the circle and walk off. And then, of course, we had to do canter lead direction. He was really good on the left, but he had... He really, really struggled on the right. Absolutely. Did he? So we yeah. had to sort of help him out a little bit there, yeah. So a lot of that work that we had to do was really just trying to get him as calm as we could in the trot. And then when we could see he was reaching down, he's quite loose and flowing. Then quite just ask him to have an attempting canter and not keep the 
keep the circle too small, keep it really doable for him. So, you know, 20 metres or so. And yeah. of course, by that time, he's lunging quite well at walk and trot. And yeah. then we were able to then get the canter aid uh, on some sort of signal, and we were also able to get a United canter, another disunited canter, where he um, was on the incorrect lead front or back. Mm-hmm. And he would just stay united the whole way. That took a lot of work. So it was really just saying, oh, yeah, a quarter of a circle in the beginning was great. Yep. And then after a month or so, we were able to get three quarters or an entire circle with no problems at all. And we we're only doing this, uh, we're only doing this twice a week. Okay. Um, we don't do a lot of bunging because horses aren't designed around corners. So so we don't want to be doing lots and lots of that. Mm-hmm. Not at speed. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. I'm just thinking, you know, because he's probably accepting the saddle and bridle. It's not like a young horse that's never had the girth around him before. He's sort of used to that. But he's almost inviting you to ride him, isn't he? You know, at what stage, you know, you've got him going well on the ground and um, the lunging, but tell me when do we actually get on the horse and what do we expect the first time. I mean, obviously, he's not going to stand there and mount like a, you know, an old show pony or dressage horse that's been around a hundred years because it's pretty much, as you said, you know, keep them moving. And the track yeah. work rider or jockey is pretty much going to just, as the horse is walking, just spring on and uh, the horse will keep walking. So, when do we know the horse is ready to mount and what do we expect of the horse the first time that we do ride it? Look, from Benny's point of view, being an X race horse, you could get on him and Benny would be fine and what he wouldn't be able to do is the moment your weight was in the saddle, whether it even only be the weight of one leg uh, and you're not quite in the saddle yet, Benny would probably, uh, he, he would just start moving because he probably thought that, oh, yes, rider on, go. Okay, um, yep. So I didn't, make it, I didn't make a big issue of that because we did a lot of time, a lot of time um, around the manning block, training him to stand beside the manning block um, to be able to move his... Uh, shoulders left and right and just his hindquarters if we needed to. We did a lot of work in that area. And so he was comfortable standing beside the manning box because that was a nice place. Mm-hmm. But the moment my weight hit his back, he just said, oh, yeah, okay, now I want to go. And he sort of just wanted off and walk off he went. So I then waited until I was fairly calm in a good position. I wasn't in a hurry to do this. And then after about five steps, I said, um, I'd like you to halt. And I could feel by the tension in him I probably shouldn't stay in hold. I could probably let him walk and just get really good at walk, stop, go. Okay. Stop, go. Okay. Just do little increments of stop because it's not any good yet. So mm. I have to train that. And now is not the time to put so much force upon Benny that I would like to create a discussion that I probably won't be able to safely handle. So I just go, walk on, good boy, now halt. And you can feel in the horse how long he's going to halt for. And after about five minutes, Benny was more than happy to stand for five seconds, and after five seconds, he, oh, no, I think I should move. And yes. then, so I would just insist to stay for one more second, and then with my leg, say, now you can go, though. So mm-hmm. now I'm actually um, starting to uh, have a little more of a say as to when he stops, how long he stops for, and when he goes for. But I'm careful that I try to do that and avoid any tension as a result of that. So I just take it as a start of the horse, and the quieter and calmer he is, is because of the work that I do and the environment that he's in. Okay, okay. Now, thinking about, you know, I mean, brakes, you you know, using cars, it's the, the slowing aid or the stopping aid. If they're not very good, what do you do? Do you talk about mouthing him, remouthing him, you know? I mean, what, what uh, t- talk to us a little bit more about that area and um, 
what you think there. Yeah. Look, um, you know, we talk about this for ages, the mounting processes, because the traditional mounting process is by using a bit with players on it, trying mm-hmm. to horse the foot with the bit. Um, yeah. I'm dedicated to that. I don't want to horse the fiddle with it. And I definitely don't need him just to stand here with his head tied down because that doesn't do anything either, um, except um, probably back to horse sore. So let's talk about what he needs to know, and that is that when I apply pressure to the bit, I would like to have an effect upon the legs reasonably immediately. So, And that's what Benny can do. When I applied the rain pressure to him, his answer was to... Um, simply open his mouth and keep going, then slow down and then stop after about five steps. So his answer to the whole thing was just open my mouth because there was a left brain involved if he opened his mouth uh-huh. and then he would stop after five steps. Okay. So I started to do what I did on the lunge and using my voice a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so I'd use the same cue as I did for the downward transition and then I would apply the rain aid. And slowly but surely, he was able to understand that, oh, that's what makes the pressure go away. Because remember, if I apply the pressure at step one and he doesn't stop till step five, it's going to be really hard for him mm. to understand what makes the pressure go away when it's been on for five steps. Yeah. Because if I can get it to go on and then I can get it to go off and he stops after the second step, the light bulb will go on and he'll go, I know how to make that go away. Yeah. I know exactly how to make that go away. Yeah. And so then I'm able to use any cue that I'd like to use as a replacement to my voice because I'm not a I'm not a big voice user. Mm-hmm. I try to use my body uh, use my body as quietly as I can. So from a training point of view, I close my thighs, put my shoulders back, and then I use the rain aid. Yeah. And I do that on every single horse that I ride. Even if they don't know it, I keep myself in the habit of doing that. Mm-hmm. So then it becomes known to the horse quite quick. Oh, oh, change. I can feel that change in balance of the rider. Uh, that means slow down okay. or stop or whatever. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So that's yep. how I did that with him. And then I, of course, said, okay, now how quickly do you do it from trot to walk? So then I started to explore transitions. And trot to walk, in a lot of ways, was much easier than getting to go from walk to halt. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I used trot to walk as my vehicle of training. Then I came back, and then I did my walk to halt, and that was so much easier. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, that's what body could okay. do. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, I'm just thinking, you know, he's becoming a lot more predictable now. You know, the self-sustaining yes. self-carriage. Yep. Okay. Yeah. What happens then, you know, direct, using direct turns, indirect turns? Just talk to us then about what you're going to do in that one, like just first of all in that one location before we worry about going to different locations. You know, when when do we know that we're ready even to go into another location? And it's not that difficult, Glenis. I mean, I, we, we'll break it down into you have to um, you have to be able to stop when I say stop with both reins. You have to be able to turn when I apply the right rein. Mm-hmm. And if it's done timely when the right front leg is about to leave the ground, that's never an issue. Turning in the back of turning and the lack of turn training is a training issue. It's not a horse issue. And then once he understands turn left and turn right, and he can do that with his left front leg and his right front leg equally well, and that's important that he's able to do that because most race horses, um, you'll find they are really quite good on the left, but they actually don't turn left that well. Mm-hmm. So technically, they, they actually prefer to fall out to the right than turn left, preferably, mm-hmm. a lot of the times. Um, and so that means it's a left turn issue. So we concentrate that on that at walk, so he needs to be able to turn left and then turn right. 
And then we also would like him to understand that if I ask him to turn, but I would like him to be able to move his shoulders and his neck. So what I want him to say now, and I think I've said this in the earlier interview, if we draw a line straight down from the pommel of the saddle mm -hmm. to the ground vertically and straight up past our nose, everything in front of you is operated by the reins. Flexion, neck yep. bend, shoulders, shoulders right, turn right, turn left. Mm -hmm. And then not to be merged with the leg aid at all. And, of course, this is important for a racehorse. So the legs then, your legs, on the horse's side, then should mean go, and then when he gets to understand, they should mean your right leg behind the girth should mean courses left, and your left leg behind the girth should mean courses right. Ultimately, they'll end up being travers left and travers right. Mm -hmm. Or it could be just a turn on the forehand and open a gate. doesn't really matter. Um, and then, of course, when I start to use my reins from left to right, I actually, for example, if I'd like to show up, go to the right because he's falling left, then I'll close my left rein on the nape of his neck, and then if he doesn't listen, I just open my rein to the right and make him take one step right. So I ask my left, and then I say, now step right with my right in the next stride. And soon he understands that this means that, unless if I don't do that, then he opens that rein. So I go close, open, close, open, and then uh, not too long, you know, in one session you can feel that you close, and he goes, yeah, yeah, I know the answer. So yep. now we're starting to get the horse to be able to neck rein or, or move laterally with his shoulders, and this is one of the most powerful tools to correct falling in, to prevent shying, and to be able to have maximum controllability, um, especially, uh, and that's not even talking about high dressage manoeuvres like canter pirouettes, et cetera, et cetera, but certainly riding a horse on really slippery ground, it's far more sensible to gently curve the horses around with your outside rein than it is to pull the inside rein in slippery conditions. Anybody that's ridden cross country Yes, yep, 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 for sure. And, and, and it's just a it's absolutely marvellous And the other thing is, and this is what I was bringing up today, I had a friend that's probably, I probably shouldn't be saying this on the radio, but I'll say it anyway. <laughs> um, she wanted me to video her, and I was like, well, so I'm actually riding around with my phone, with this phone on play, and so I'm forced now to steer and follow her through the bush um, on this young horse. And so I had no trouble following her with um, being able to ride my horse because this horse knew indirect turns really well, and I can ride a figure eight left and right with my left hand. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it was yeah. easy. So we just need that degree of controllability because then the evasions that will be caused will either be challenging our stop button, a go button, a turn button, or they'll be falling in or falling out. Okay, okay. And then once you've got that established, you establish it first in one position, is that then when you're ready to go to a different location and see if you can use those same cues in another location? I mean, do we use another horse? Tell us about you know, taking the horse, say, from the arena or from the rounder, wherever you're riding, to another place. Yeah. What do we have to check first and then or change? Yeah. Can we? Um, can I pretend that I'm a really nervous rider here and say, look, you know, my horse is going really well in the indoor and I yeah. love riding here and now my instructor is telling me that I should really just pull up my pants and ride out in the outdoor. Yeah. And I, I'm not sure that I should do that. What can I do? Okay, what we can do is actually start to influence the things, the environment itself you're riding in that he's familiar with now. Mm -hmm. And you just tip on him. Ride in with another horse. Ride in with a horse he doesn't know. Ride in with a, have somebody come in with a pony. Something a little bit different. Um, see how it goes when you start moving the furniture around the indoor. How does he go when I ride him at different times? 
How is he? Well, I'll give him two days off. How is he on the first ride after two days off? All those measures will tell you. And it will, and that was also going to give you the opportunity to examine whether you're ready to go and ride on the outdoor arena. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Be creative. Just got to be creative. Yep. 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 Just sort of going back to the world, there's everything, isn't there? You know, there's a lot of hard questions that you're going to ask Benny. You know, the horse float training. Yes. The riding out in a group, even going faster in canter, just yeah. without him going back and defaulting into that racehorse mode. You know, how can we stop that? Yeah. Because horses, you know, I suppose they've, they've got long memories. Um, yeah. yeah, just talk to us a little bit about that before we, you know, so we can sort of finalise that bit. The beauty about cross country, Glennis, is you don't do it in a crowd. Thank goodness for that, because the exercise <laughs> yes. horses probably be wiped out. Yes. So. You know, it wouldn't be survivable. Um, so the thing part here is don't get caught. Go for nice, quiet rides, maybe walk, trot, and a bit of canter. But don't practice going fast in a group again. He doesn't need to practice it ever again mm. because you're not going to ever want that. So I would be um, saying make sure that the self-carriage state is working in canter in one environment and then test it in another. Mm-hmm. And then slowly but surely as you get your bottom out of the saddle and you get into the two-point and suck it into more of a cross-country mode, make sure that you getting out of the saddle and getting over his doesn't change the self-carriage state. Okay. So I'm really big on that. And yeah. that's the difficult one for the cross-country horses. As soon as you get out of the neck, they go, oh, yeah, right now I know my job. Yes. Um, when really we've got to change that context as well. And remember I said that one of the things that we have with racehorses, I don't think there's many traits in the racehorse that we actually need. To be truthful, we, we, we've got a long way to go, and poor Benny has had to do a complete rewiring program here. Mm, mm. So now when we get over his neck, um, you know, I, what I'd like him to be able to do is stay at the same speed that I set him at, and then so the worst thing I can do is hang on to his mouth and argue with him, but what I can do is get a bit of a slowing down response, and that'll make me release the rain really quickly because he gives me the answer, and we know that the release... And the reward of the release of pressure is actually will transit, not the pressure. Okay. Uh, and then I can give him a bit of a scratch on the neck. And then maybe I could reward him by saying, yeah, good boy, you did that really well. And then I come back to cancer, trot, and then I'm in a long stretch. So that was good. So everything that's rewarding is now involved in a downward transition, which is the opposite to racing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Benny had had 140 starts. So I'm presuming that because he's more heavily raced, it's going to take him longer to train the desired outcomes because it's taken so long to, you know, to get them to practice being a racehorse. So is that right? You know, if we get a horse that's only lightly raced, it's going to be an easier horse to train in general. Every horse is different, but in general, is that right? Yeah, in a way it is right, but there are always exceptions to these rules. Although mm-hmm. he had the new starts, he wasn't that very old. He was raced pretty heavily as a three-year-old. Okay. So by the time he got to me, he was still only, you know, just rising seven. Oh, okay. So by yep. the time he got to me, yeah, so he'd done, a lot, he'd done a lot of miles. So a pretty tough horse, and he hadn't broken down or showed any signs of injury. It was pretty remarkable. So by the time he got to me, he was still only seven, and there are two factors here that take a lot of time, and that is, you know, uh, an undesirable rehearsed reaction over many times, which is what I'm talking about with the response. And the other one is having a horse that's older. And, of course, older horses, it's not impossible to, to um, teach an old dog new tricks, but it just takes more repetitions. And I mean, that, for him, that's mm-hmm. exactly, once he understood the new context, it would be far harder 
for me to be able to train any that if he'd been allowed to go across country and had practiced bolting for a year, okay. that would okay. because now the context has been wrong. Mm. But if the context hasn't been shown before, it's a wonderful place to say, look, you know, this is not hard. You just lob along here all by yourself. It's really, really good. We <laughs> have a block around a scratch. Oh, boy. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And that's what I'm seeing. Yeah, sorry, yeah. I, I was just thinking because with racehorses, you know, a very long time ago, my friend of mine got an ex racehorse, and the farrier said, I love these ex racehorses because they're so quiet around the feet. They're usually well handled around the feet. You know, the vets can drench them, and, and they've got lots of good things going for them, even though they're a horse off the track. So, you know, thinking about the context they're familiar with, you know, the, even the loading. Being in those confined areas, there's lots of things that they're already familiar with, isn't there? Oh, that's right. Look, the vets and the farriers, mm. um, you know, it's just, uh, and that's right, and the farriers do like them because they're known. They've had their peak, feet picked up millions of times. They've had quadruple, you know, dozen sets of um, mm. shoes mm. on and off and rugs on and off. And stabling isn't a problem because they're all stable, you see. So there's a lot of a lot of pros to the whole thing. The other thing that is also interesting about the X-ray source, it's been tried and tested a little bit, so you probably don't have to worry too much. I'm not saying people shouldn't get a vet check, but it's unlikely you're ever going to put that amount of pressure on that horse that he wasn't racing, and he stayed sound with that. Okay. So that's also another little piece of background to say, I'm not going to push him as hard, I'm just going to get him to go a little bit slower mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I think he should be okay. Okay, okay. I'm thinking, you know, outside that, it's the new stuff that's a bit scary, isn't it? The new stuff like having yeah. to back out of a float and you can't go yeah. forward out of the float. Yep, yep. So I suppose if they're done, you know, with that patience and care, that's the main thing. Yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah. What about, you know, I mean, is it going to be that all X-ray horses are going to be able to be retrained? So it's got to be that they're individuals. Some are diff- more difficult than others. Is that right? Or, or give us a bit of advice there if someone's looking for an X-ray source. Look, the answer is if you're looking for an X-ray source, do the numbers. And, and you've already um, touched on the tip of the iceberg. Look, there's a lot of race horses that are going to be rehomable. And it's not because the horses are a write-off. It's probably because the number of people that are out there in the in the world that are capable of riding that horse probably don't have or don't have a desire for that horse. Mm-hmm. So, in other words. We've got a lot of people out there that can really ride our race horses, but they've got pretty too many horses to go on another one. Yes. And the people that are shopping probably don't have the skill set to be able to deal with that horse. So unfortunately, the wastage is phenomenal, as we all know. Yes. So, you know, that's the, that's the unfortunate moral imbalance that we have with the, with the numbers that come to racing and then what do we do with the numbers afterwards. And I've spent the last fortnight speaking to all my colleagues you know, wondering what we can all do about this because it's everybody's responsibility because mm. we all enjoy the resource. But we have to be mindful of the waste because that's that's not right. Mm, mm, for sure, yeah. for sure, yeah. Yes, I'm thinking, you know, if we're looking at a racehorse, we've still yeah. got to get a horse that exhibits the traits that we like, though. I suppose that's when you say, I'm just going to take my instructor with me you know, to see if this horse is going to be suitable for, because they know me, they know what I'm able to do and they know what my limits are and they can have a good look at this horse and see if it's going to be a good match. Absolutely. Took the words out of my mouth, Grant. That's exactly you need to get a second opinion mm-hmm. on somebody that really knows your skill sets, knows your yep. capabilities 
and is also willing to say to you, well, are you happy enough to ride this horse out of its present context? In other words, ride it somewhere it hasn't been before? Mm-hmm. And the answer is no, I wouldn't do that, then don't buy it. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yep. Because that's what's going to happen. He's yeah. going to be ridden yeah. in a variety of contexts, and you have to be able to deal with that. And he's going to be transported to a different context. So, you know, I think that the horse's demeanour tells you everything. And I come across horses like this all the time, uh, X-race horses, and and just general horses as well. And you look at them and just say, oh wow, what a great individual! I bet this horse is just great to ride, and they just are. Mm. Walk, trot, canter, mm. not flappable by anything. Go and do cattle work one day, pony club the next. I mean, they're the horses that are really, really invaluable. And yes, we can train them to get to that point, but it has to be a reasonably safe journey because it's not worth, you know, it's not worth our lives for theirs. Yes, yeah, yeah. So they can be more accepting of those new situations. And I suppose if you're looking at getting a horse, you want to get as much information of their past history as possible anyway before you purchase the horse. But tell me, once they're at home, and I know you've gone through the steps of what you do, you know, just say you've gone, you've got this Benny, whether it's Benny or another ex racehorse, okay? What can they do when they very first get the horse home? And I know that, you know, your training is like you can't just say, right, I'll get the horse out of the paddock and it misbehaves all the way to where you're saddling it up and won't stand still and everything else and then get on and train it. The training is there all the time. Anytime you're in contact with the horse, the training's commenced. But when they first get that horse home, what do they do first? You know, the instructor's not there and they want to do something with the horse. What should they do? Okay, I think the very first thing to do, and this um, people that have had a lot of horses will relate to this, it gets off the truck or the transport system, mm-hmm. really quite distressed. Now is not the time to train it. Pop, mm-hmm. it, pop it in a box or a really safe yard yep. uh, and let, let it chill down, give it something to eat, and then once its demeanour is actually a little bit quieter, and say, okay, we're going to come in and we're going to practice just stop and go in the, in the stables or walking towards the stables or yep. just around your yard. Yep. So I start off the groundwork on the control procedures straight away. So even if I know that this horse needs to be let down, mm. I don't just tip it out in the pad once it gets off the truck. I want to make sure that all the control mechanisms that enable me to handle this horse safely, should something go wrong during its spell, I'm confident to do so. Because it's not about just letting the horse down physically. It's actually about making sure the horse understands what the question is, what the answer is, and he can remember that after his spell, during his spell, in case he gets injured or in case there's an emergency or for whatever reason, that we can control him um, really confidently because we know that when he... When we rug him, he does this, and when we tie him up to the um, tire, he does that. Um, and when we're able to mimic all the things that we want to be able to do, which is grooming, saddling, bridling, rugging, unrugging, mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. Yep, great. Look, Johnny, I think, you know, you, you've taken us through when I mean, the X-race horses, the thoroughbreds are a little bit different to other horses, and obviously with all your experience with them, I'm sure you've given people lots of tips. So um, thank you. And, John, if people do want to get in contact with you, what's the best way? Um, the best way is probably by my email address, which is um, where I get most of my inquiries from, and also on the uh, Train, to, Train to Win Facebook page. Mm-hmm. So my business is called Train to Win. 
Uh, and my email address is uh, just John McLean at gmail.com, G-O-N-N-A-M-C-L-E-A-N at gmail.com. Okay, and all those details will be on horsechats.com. Just go to horsechats, search for Jonna. Jonna, I'm losing count. I think this is about number 14 here, but it'll be, I think if you just go to horsechats.com, search for Jonna, J-O-N-N-A, and at the bottom of each of Jonna's pages, you'll find those contact details. So you're fairly easy to get hold of, Jonna. I think if people have got a question for you, you know, you've explained so much, but if they do have a question, they can contact you direct and uh, go from there. All right, so that's wonderful, Jonna, and um, hopefully we'll catch up again very soon. No problem. I appreciate the time. You have a good evening. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below. 